Hey, it's Ryan Tucker, and you're listening to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen's sermon out of John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, and it's titled, Receiving and Believing. Hey, if you have your Bibles this morning, open them up to the book of John, chapter 1. And our text is going to be verses 10, 11, 12, and 13 this morning. We're in a series entitled Life in His Name, a verse-by-verse study of the book of John. And we've just started, and it is, it is so rich. And I remind you, as we study the book of John, like any other book that we study, you're not going to understand anything until you put your Jesus glasses on. It's like trying to watch one of those old school 3D movies and you didn't get the glasses, okay? Put the Jesus glasses on, that brings great understanding. It's very important, guys, that when we study the Bible, that we understand what is culturally taking place and a little bit about the language that it's being written in. You'll hear me from time to time say, hey, this word in the original Greek, that's what the New Testament was written in, or this word in the original Hebrew, that's what the Old Testament was written in. Because when we read words, corresponding words in the English language, they don't always necessarily make sense. And it's hard for us to understand maybe the truth that is being conveyed. We find ourselves in one of those situations today. But I'll give you an example of how that happens in our world today. I mean, we speak English. Britain, they speak English. Yet we can have the same terms and they mean completely different things. For instance, here we put a suitcase in the trunk of a car. There they put the suitcase in the boot of the car. Uh, Both Both areas have football, means two completely different things, American football and British football, and let's just be honest, American football is football, English football, I don't know what that is, soccer, I guess, but anyway, we know American football is a lot better than that. To me, the most interesting thing, though, is uh, it has to do with the word restroom, that if you're in Britain and you ask where a restroom is, they might look at you with a little puzzled expression because they don't use the word restroom when it comes to public restrooms. A public restroom there is called the WC. The WC stands for water closet. See, I mean, that, that could cause some major problems. There was a very prestigious British lady that one time was coming over to spend a week at a campground in North Carolina. And she wanted to know the accommodations. She wrote a letter and she said, I'm coming, would you please help me know about the WC accommodations? She meant water closet, restroom. Well, you've got a park ranger that had never been out of North Carolina before. He was not aware of the British term WC. He thought and he thought, he scratched his head, he even asked others, what in the world did she mean by WC? And then all of a sudden he thought, wait, I know what it is. It's the wayside chapel that we have here on our campground. Well, it was just nearby. And so he sat down and he wrote a letter back to this 
very prestigious woman, and here's what he said. He said, dear ma'am, in response to your letter, I'm happy to report that we have a lovely WC located only two miles from our park. The WC can seat 200 people, all on padded seats. The WC is usually only open on Sundays from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., but people can visit during the week as they have needs. The WC is a place where people come to find relief from the pressures of the world. You can sit and read the literature provided. You can enjoy the organ music. Or you can just converse with those beside you. I'm sure that you will enjoy the WC, and I'll be happy to accompany you there. Sincerely, the park manager. Well, you see, I mean, you see how confusing things can be. Well, if you don't understand the language, if you don't understand the cultural differences, it can be very confusing, even with the Bible. And the reason why I bring that up today is because we're going to be looking at the word believe. It's that way with the word believe. The word believe appears over 250 times in the New Testament. Many of us know that in order to go to heaven when you die, you must believe in Jesus Christ. But our English word believe is not the same as the Bible, New Testament word for believe. Our word believe means this, to give mental affirmation to a fact. For instance, I could say, the sky, I believe the sky is blue. I'm giving mental affirmation to a fact. Well, today we're going to learn about the real meaning of the word believe. Let me make two statements before we read this passage. First of all, you can believe in Jesus and not receive him as Lord. That means that you're not saved. The second statement, but when you receive Jesus as Lord, you believe and you are saved. I'll put it another way. You can believe without receiving, but you cannot receive without believing. Now, let's look at the passage of Scripture. John chapter 10, excuse me, John chapter 1, verse 10. He, he there being Jesus, he was in the world, and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This morning, I wanna to present to you three very broad responses concerning Jesus, and then I'm going to give you three revelations that come from Jesus. Those revelations are going to be our take-home truths today, okay? So first of all, responses concerning Jesus. The first response, his creation did not know him. Look there with me in verse 10 again. Look at what it says. It says, the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Now, the supreme truth of history is that Christ came into the world. The supreme fact of history is that Christ created the world. 
And the supreme tragedy of history is the world did not even recognize him. The world did not know him. In 1961, the first man in space, Soviet cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin, when he returned, the leader of the Soviet Union, Nikita Khrushchev, announced Gagarin went up into space and he did not see a God anywhere. That'd be the equivalent of saying this, I read Macbeth, uh, Macbeth and I didn't see Shakespeare anywhere. That while he wrote it and he created it, you're not going to see him just by reading it there. See, guys, for most of human history, scientists agreed that there is a creator. It's only the last hundred years or so that physicists have sat there and said, no, the way the world was created is a random accident that happened over billions of years known as the Big Bang. I think I've told you this before, and I'm so simple-minded, but I've never seen a Big Bang create anything. I've seen it destroy a lot. And here's what will happen, teenagers. They will sit there, and they will use hypotheses to uh, they'll proclaim that this hypothesis is fact when indeed it's nothing more than their hypothesis. And just because it's in your science book does not mean it's fact. You can look at carbon dating. My goodness, it takes more faith to believe in carbon dating than it does a creator God. Here's creation. And it doesn't even recognize him. Unless you're attending a Christian school, Jesus is largely ignored today in academia. And he's the one that created the mind. He's the one that created knowledge. He's the one that created wisdom. And when you look around and you see all the precision and you see all the beauty of creation, do you really think that all that just happened? Can you honestly accept that we are all just random accidents of evolution? Sir Newton didn't believe that. James Newton, the father of physics, was a committed Christian. James Newton had a, a fellow scientist that was an atheist. James Newton had a, a workroom out behind his house, and in that workroom, he built a model according to the size of the universe. And he had the sun there, and he had these uh, spokes that went out from the sun to all the other planets within the universe. And he even created a crank to where he could hand crank it, and all the other planets would move around the sun. It was, it was a sight to behold. He invited his friend, the communist, Friend who was the atheist walked into the room and he's like, oh my goodness, this is beautiful. This is great. Everything is just to scale. It's perfect. And all of a sudden Newton said, why don't you go ahead and use the crank? And so he started using the crank and the planets start revolving around the sun. And, and he's sitting there, he's like, oh my goodness, this is grand. This is wonderful. Who made it? 
And Sir Newton said, oh, nobody made it. It just showed up here one day in my workroom. <laughs> it just happened. And the atheist got real quiet. Newton had made his point, clearly. Jesus made everything that we can see. And Jesus made everything that we cannot see. And yet, he created it all, and creation still does not recognize him. We live in a day and time, friend, when creation wants to exalt creation as God versus exalting the creator as God. The first response, the very world that he was created did not even know him. They ignored him. But here's the second response. His own community didn't receive him. Look, 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 look in verse 11. Look at what he says there. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Now, it's bad enough for the world to ignore him, but his own people, the Jews, they didn't just ignore him. They violently rejected him. And there's the ironic thing about it all. They were waiting for the Messiah. The prophets were their forefathers. They knew their prophecies. The Messiah will be born. A Messiah will be born. The Messiah is coming. When, Magi, when the Magi went to look for the king of the Jews, and they came to Herod's palace, and then Herod requested the Jewish priests and scribes, where will the Messiah be born? They had the right answer. They said, Bethlehem in Judea. How did they have the right answer? They had the writings of Micah. They knew what Micah had said. That every single book of the Old Testament has one great truth. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And yet when the Messiah showed up, they were expecting a king like David. Somebody that's going to bring Israel back to world prominence. And they're like, he can't be the king. No king would be born in a stable. And they ultimately sentenced Jesus to death. The Jewish leaders did why? Blasphemy. Well, how did he blaspheme? He claimed to be God. The, governor, the Roman governor Pontius Pilate said, I, I, I don't know why am I going to arrest Jesus. I find nothing wrong that he has done to arrest him. And the crowd said, release Barabbas. Release Barabbas, right? A criminal. And he said, okay, if I release Barabbas, what am I supposed to do with Jesus? And the ultimate rejection, crucify him, crucify him. The very people that he came to save did not receive him. They rejected him. Guys, I'm telling you, what we're looking at today when it comes to responses to Jesus Christ, it's no different than what we see happening at this very moment, that there are people who, number one, ignore him. They look around at creation. They try to explain him away. They try to come up with fanciful ideas. I will tell you this. If you study a lot of science, you can, you can understand why they say what they say because their paycheck depends on it. Hello. You're like, so science is against the Bible. No, are you kidding me? The Bible is filled with science. Don't forget who the Lord of science is. 
And so what happens is folks are like, I'm just not going to think about Jesus. I'm just not going to entertain him. I mean, if you guys want to think about him, you can. He's an okay guy. I'm not saying he's bad or anything. I just choose not to have him in my life. I'm just going to do life and I'm going to ignore him. And then there are others that reject him. No, 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 no. I'll not receive him. No, I'll do my own thing. No, I'm the master of my own fate, right? I'm the captain of my own ship. I make decisions for my life. I'm the one that decides what I'm going to do and where I'm going to go. And I'm the one that makes the decisions that will affect the future of my life. And friend, uh, if you believe that, I would just encourage you this. Try doing life with your own oxygen. Try doing life making sure all those brain cells are firing the way they're supposed to fire. Mm. Let me give you the third response, okay? This is the good one. His children welcome him as Lord. Again, there are some people that reject him. There are some people that ignore him. But right here, the good news is many people receive him as Lord. Look at verse 12. Look at what he says in 12. He says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. There is a word in that passage of Scripture that lights my fire. Do you know what it is? Don't try to guess. You'll get it wrong. Many. Mm. But as many, maybe you have a translation that says this, all. Do you know what many means? Many means Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, pagans, men, women, boys, and girls. Do you know who's part of many? Me. Me. He didn't sit there and say, only a select few. Only a small, little. No, no. Here's what that means. It means he has given them the right. He has given them the gospel. You say, why does that excite you? Because you might be here today, or you might be listening to me today, and you may think, you know what? There's no way that I could ever be saved. There's no way that I could ever be forgiven. I don't come from the right lineage, right? I've done a lot of bad things. I don't look the part. I don't dress the way I'm supposed to. I don't read the Bible. I've never understood it. Oh my goodness, there's no way many. That'd be you. Many. I thought you'd get more excited about that word. Well, I'm going to change it to a few. Many. Many what? Received him. What does the word receive? Jesus, what does it mean? The word receive, it's very simple. It means this, welcome him in. It's like when somebody shows up at your house, at your front door, and, you know, I know some of you are like, don't go to the door. They're there. We don't want them in. You know, you're like, there's a reason I didn't build a front porch. I see my neighbors when I pull in the garage and put the door down when I, before I get out of the car. But they show up at your house and it's a good day. And you're like, hey, why don't you come on in? Let me invite you. Come in the house. I'll give you an example. 
When I was young, I'm ashamed to admit this right now. When I was young, I didn't like girls. Girls were nasty. <laughs> girls had cooties, just all, all, the, all the stuff. One day, there's a little girl that lived down the street from our house. Her name was Kathy, and Kathy liked me. Kathy showed up at my house, knocked on the door. I went to the door, opened the door. Kathy's standing there, and she's like, I've come to invite you to my birthday party this Saturday. I didn't know what to say, so I slammed the door in her face. <laughs> it's a girl. Be around girls? My mom came out, my mom said, who was at the door? And I'm like, nobody. I was a mean, lying little kid. My mom opened the door, and there's Kathy still standing on my front porch, and she's crying. And, oh. It's like 45 years ago. She ended up being okay. My mom's like, Kathy, what, 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 Kathy, come on in. And my mom invited her in. She sat on the couch. My mom gave her a glass of Kool-Aid. My mom's like, what's going on, Kathy? Why, why are you upset? And she goes, well, I've come to invite Stephen to my party this Saturday. And my mom looked at me, and my mom said, Stephen will be happy to come to your party Saturday. <laughs> and I went, but I wasn't happy. I was the only boy at the whole party. But hey, hey listen, listen. <laughs> yeah, as a 16-year-old, I would have been like, yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> the word receive is what my mom did. She invited she welcomed. She, she, she opened the door. Come in. What I did was pure rejection. Well, friend, I want you to know, when we use the word accept, and when he uses the passage there, but as many as have received him. When we receive him, we invite him. Come into my life. That there is a time, if you know Christ is your Lord, you know that there is a time when the convicting power of the Holy Spirit falls upon you. And it's as if Jesus is there, and Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. And you can hear a preacher preach like me, or you can hear someone share their own testimony, and you're like, oh my goodness, it's just like they're talking to me. It's like I'm the only one in the room. Your heart starts beating 100 miles an hour. And it's like God sitting there, God saying, it's you. It's you. Open the door. Invite me in. Receive me. And, and when we're aware of that, we should receive him. But I want to tell you something. When you receive Jesus into your life, you're not just welcoming him into part of your life. He has to be in total control. He wants to be the Lord. When you receive Jesus, you, you get the gift of eternal life. But hear me, you can believe forever and never receive. 
Believing and receiving are not the same thing. Look at what he says in verse 13. He kind of fleshes this out a little bit more, verse 13. He says, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So here's what he has just told us. We've all been born in the wrong family. And some of you are thinking, I knew it. Explains a lot about me. All the, no, no. We're not talking about the Smiths or the Browns, okay? We've all been born into the Adams family. Yeah, Adam messed it up for all of us. Adam sinned, and when he brought sin into the world, all of a sudden that now becomes a part of our nature. And so every single one of us, we are being born of the blood. That's that physical birth. And let me just stop and say this about physical birth. It is truly a miracle from God. That God would take a man, and he would take a woman, and he would bring them together and conceive life is a gift from his hand, that unashamedly our church is, hear me, not just pro-birth, we're pro-life. We believe that life is sacred. We will always speak on behalf of life. Why? Because it is sacred and important to God. We will always speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. You heard me say this last week, there's some great uh, victories that have happened this past year when it comes to the pro-life front and some of the things that have happened with the Supreme Court. But I also cautioned you and said, let us understand the battle is still going on. Let us not get lazy. Let us not rest on our laurels. Let us continue to speak out and fight on behalf of life. Just this week, the state of Michigan passed the most radical abortion bill that has ever been passed by any state. That you can have an abortion all the way up to childbirth. Why is life important to us? Because life is important to God. But here he is saying, yes, you have physical life and that indeed is a miracle. You're born of the blood, but you're born in the wrong family. Sin has affected you. And so what he is saying is God wants you to be reborn. You're like, how can I do that? When a person is born again, God's word will interact with our faith. And the miracle result is I've now been born again. I'm a different man. I'm a different woman. And we'll say a whole lot more about new birth when we get to John chapter 3 in a few weeks. And there's a hyper-religious Pharisee there by the name of uh, Nicodemus, and he visits Jesus. And he's like, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus, I want you to hear what he says to Nicodemus. This is in John chapter 3, verse 3. Listen to what he says. Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So I've got to be born again. I've been born the first time. Nicodemus is like, what do I do? I can't go back in my mother's womb. And Jesus is like, I didn't mean that. I mean, there's a new birth, a new life. There's a change through Jesus Christ. You've received him. Your faith has been put into action. And you've now, it's just like you've been born again. And so those are the responses. We read it in this passage of Scripture. John's saying, here's what happened when Jesus came. 
And I'll tell you, that's what's happening today. Again, some that ignore him, let's just act like he doesn't exist. Let's just act like we're all randomly here, that there's no God, there's no uh, plan, there's no purpose, everything's just kind of taking place. I'll tell you, there are a great number of folks, that's the way they live life. Those are the ones that when you're sharing about Christ and they're just like, eh, 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 you're like, why can't you see? You just want to slap them around a little bit in the name of Jesus. Come on! And then you have those that reject. They've heard the truth, they've heard the good news, they've heard the gospel, and they're like, nope, not today. And please, please don't sit there and and be lulled into this idea that you're like, well, I've just not received him yet. No, there's reception and there's rejection. There's no middle ground. But what does it all mean? What are the revelations that come from Jesus? What's the truth that I take home? You know, that's one of the things that we always do around here. We break down the scripture. We give the principles, the biblical precepts that are there. And then we say, now what does that say to you and I? How does that affect the way that we live? What is it that I am to, uh, I'm, allow, I'm supposed to grab hold of and take into my own life? Three of these revelations, and they're pretty simple. The first one is this. Jesus does understand rejection. And I think that's important to you and I. Because rejection is painful. Whether you didn't get picked to be on the team or you, uh, you applied for a job and you didn't get the job or you applied to a, go to a certain college and you didn't get accepted. Maybe you're romantically interested in someone and you expressed that romantic interest and they didn't feel the same way that you did. Or maybe you know the rejection of marrying somebody and pledging your life to them only for them to leave you and abandon you and go to someone else. We could talk all morning about all the different rejections that we face in life. It comes in all colors, shapes, styles, and sizes. And I think even the, even the most Hardened of us would admit that rejection hurts. That there is no pain quite like the pain of offering your heart to someone only for them to return your heart to you and it's broken and it's bruised. I was reading the other day and someone said that rejection is worse than a kick to the gut because rejection is a kick to the heart. Here's what I'm saying today. I may not know your pain. I may not know the rejection that you have experienced. You may not know the rejection that I've experienced either, but I'm telling you, Jesus Christ knows. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He was rejected by the Jewish leaders. He was rejected by those who loved, or those who should have loved him. I mean, after he returned to his home synagogue in Nazareth, where he was raised, Lord willing, in a few weeks, I'll be right there. And he preached his sermon there at his home church in Nazareth. And what did they do? The very ones that knew who he was, they sought to kill him because he committed blasphemy, because he claimed that he was God. Man, he was rejected. He was bruised. 
He was insulted. And so the next time your heart's hurting, I just say this. Remember, Jesus knows what it's like to have a heart that hurts. Jesus not only knows and cares about your pain, but he also shares your pain. One of the titles that very seldom that we talk about when it comes to Jesus is man of sorrows. But he shares in your grief. Don't sit there and think that you serve a God or you have a creator that is on the backside of the universe, uninterested, uncaring about what is happening in your life. Please hear me. There's not one single tear that you've shed that has gone unnoticed that he, that he doesn't care for. He loves you. He breaks because you are broken. His heart is moved because you are, you, you are being sifted, right? You're being gone from, from one side to the next. You look around and you've placed your faith and trust in things that will never be able to deliver what you long for. What is that? Acceptance and hope and eternity. It is only through Jesus. He does understand your pain. Here's the second revelation. He desires your faith and trust. That when you truly receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, you invite him in and you invite him to move in and take control of your life. I'll ask you a question. Let's just say this. Let's say that you invite somebody to come to your house. And let's just say that you're hospitable, okay? And let's just say that you tell them they're going to be staying there for a few days. And you're like, you know what? Hey, hey, listen, the, the fridge is there. The pantry's over there. The guest restroom is right there. You just make yourself at home. Here's the remote. You watch whatever you want to watch. You know, and you're just like, I want to be hospitable. My house is your house. And then all of a sudden they, they go and start opening your closet doors. All of a sudden, they start opening the drawers to all the furniture in your house. Some of you are like, yeah, that, that'd be called a mother-in-law. <laughs> can't, can't, can't help you with that one. Seriously. Seriously, they start digging through everything. You got all your tax records, you know, in a... In a, in a in a box that's underneath your bed, and all of a sudden they're like, hey, listen, I think you didn't claim the right stuff in 2016. You're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? How did you get in that closet? That closet is locked. I picked it. You're like, that's foolish. Nobody would ever do that. Well, if they did, what's going to happen? Chances are you're going to say to your spouse, you need to go talk to them. And tell them to mind their own business. Stay out of our stuff. But do you know, that's what it means to receive Jesus. Be inappropriate behavior for a friend. But when you invite Jesus into your heart, that's what it should be. My house is your house. My heart is your heart. There's no room that's hidden. There's no drawer that's locked. There's nothing that is off limits. I receive you. I invite you in. Oh, there's a great tract that was written several years ago by a Presbyterian pastor in California named Robert Munger. The title of it is, My Heart Christ Homes. My Heart Christ Home. It has changed thousands of lives. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association has used it for years. I want you to listen to part of what Robert Munger wrote. 
He said, one evening I invited Jesus Christ into my heart. What an entrance he made. It was not spectacular or an emotional thing, but it was very real. I was at the very, uh, it was at the very center of my life. He came into the darkness of my heart and he turned on the light. He built a fire in the cold hearth and banished the chill. He started music where there had been stillness. And he filled the emptiness with his own loving, wonderful fellowship. I have never regretted opening the door to Christ. And I never will. Not into eternity. And then all of a sudden he starts writing about allowing Jesus to enter every room of his heart. Almost like his house. He's like, so I gave, I gave the kitchen to Jesus. And I gave the master bedroom to Jesus. And I gave the bathroom to Jesus. And I gave, I gave the living room to Jesus. And I gave the office to Jesus. And he's, he's just going through. And he's, he's saying, I, I let Jesus go into this room. And I let Jesus go into this room. And, I, and listen, listen, here's what he said. He said, and finally, mm, Finally, I signed over the deed to my house to Jesus. And I said, you take it. It's yours. You control it. I'll just live here as your servant. That's what it means to receive Jesus. That he desires your faith. He desires your trust. It means, guys, that you transfer the title of your heart by transferring your trust to Jesus Christ. Again, there's no hurt that you've experienced that he is not aware of, that he doesn't care for, that he cannot heal of. What does he long for? For your faith and your trust and to take control of your life. Here's the third and final revelation. I didn't know any other way to say it, so bear with me. He doesn't have grandchildren. If both of your parents are Christian when you were born, that doesn't make you a Christian. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. Being born in a Christian home no more makes you a Christian than being born in a garage makes you a car or being born in a bakery makes you a biscuit. Every person has to realize that they're a sinner in need of salvation. And they individually must personally put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, parents, we can train our children, and we're supposed to. And let me just stop and say this to moms and dads. We've got a great, great children and student ministry here at this church, but our responsibility is not primarily to train your children in the ways of the Lord. That's your responsibility. Now, we're going to help you. We're going to do everything we can. But let not anything that happens at this church replace the responsibility that belongs to mom and dad. Okay? You're like, boy, I feel like I've been sucker punched. I love it when that happens. We'll help you. We'll help you. 
And so moms and dads, we train our children in the ways of the Lord. We'll have a baby dedication service twice a year. We string kids all across this front. Not one of them ever remembers it. It's parents who are like, church, we need your help. We feel completely, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we feel like we're out of place. We don't, we don't feel like we're prepared to be able to do this. And you're not. And, and we're like, we'll pray for you and we'll help you. And they're like, okay, hold us accountable. But they don't really want to be held accountable. It's just kind of this symbolic thing. And then we'll start holding them accountable. They're like, we don't want to be held accountable. We're going to go to another church where they don't hold you accountable. And we're like, well, that's not right. Anyway, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just getting stuff off my chest today. But We pray for our children, but they've got to make the choice themselves to receive Jesus as Lord, believe in his name so that they can become a child of God. Again, I'm going to go back. You can believe without receiving Jesus. You can believe all the facts about Jesus without receiving him into your life as Lord. What does it mean to welcome Jesus into your heart? I'll tell you a true story about a nine-year-old boy by the name of Wallace Perling. Wallace Perling, they called him Wally. Wally was bigger than the rest of the kids well, because he had a hard time in school, and he had stayed behind a little bit. They were getting ready for their annual Christmas play at the school, and the teacher thought, you know what, Wally is so much bigger than the rest of the kids, I think he'd make a great innkeeper. I think he would really drive home force. Besides, he only had one line, and his line was, we are full be gone. And so he was excited. The night came for the presentation, and he was waiting behind the cardboard door of the inn. And Mary and Joseph came to the point where they were up there at the inn door, and Joseph knocks on the door, and the innkeeper Wally comes, and Joseph is like, Sir, we're looking for a room. And he's like, uh, We're full, be gone. We have no room. And then Joseph said, but sir, my wife, she is with child, and she's tired, and we've been traveling a long way, and could you please, could you please give us a place to stay? And he said, we're sorry, we're full, be gone. And then Joseph took Mary and put his arm around her, and she put her head on his shoulder, and they began to walk away, and Wally stood there watching the whole thing happen. And all of a sudden, Wally decided he'd go off script. <laughs> and it just become too much for him. And as Joseph was walking away with Mary, Wally spoke up and Wally said, Joseph, don't go. Joseph, don't go. Bring, bring Mary back. We are full but you can have my room. And there were some folks that were like, oh, the play's ruined. And most folks said, no, I think it's probably the best Christmas play we've ever had. Hear me, that's what it means to receive Christ. You receive him by welcoming him into your life. Here, Jesus, you can have my heart. You can have my heart. You can believe without receiving, but I'm telling you, you cannot receive 
without believing. A couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine, a member of our church, big old tall guy by the name of Ray, went home to be with the Lord. For the last several years, Ray had been dealing with cancer and kind of like that roller coaster. There were times they told him, hey, you're good, cancer's gone. And then a few months later, it's back and it's worse. Ended up traveling throughout his entire body. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to baptize Ray as he publicly professed Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Big old tall guy. This is before he lost about 100 pounds. He was, you know, he was a corn-fed country boy. And I baptized him, and he came up out of the water, and he was so excited, he, uh, he bear-hugged me and almost baptized me. <laughs> so kind, always. Man, Pastor, what a great message. It's amazing how the Bible comes alive once you receive Jesus. Mm. I'm like, yeah, you're right. They uh, tried every kind of treatment in the world, and they sent him home and said, well, he'll, he'll, he'll not leave the house before he's left the body. And uh, his wife reached out to us and said, hey, you know, things, things have gotten pretty bad for Ray. A couple of weeks ago, Jennifer and I, we headed up to their house and was there, he was talking, and kind of the same way you could tell it took a lot for him to talk. And he was like, man, I'd love to go to Israel with you, preacher. Oh, I'd love to go. And today, he, he, he's at a city, but it's, it's not a city that's been built with human hands. And uh, we talked, and he kept saying, hey, I'm good, because I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. Here's what he kept saying, 53 years of age. Here's what he kept saying. I just want everybody to know Jesus the way I do. Man, I wish everybody knew Jesus the way I did. Jennifer was talking with his wife. and was like, hey, what can we do for you guys? Can we bring you food? Can we do this? Can we do that? Or, well, yeah, a little bit of food. And so we've got some ladies in the church that are great, great cooks. One of them is Candy Shaw. So Jennifer called Candy, and Candy made a whole slew of food with banana pudding. And the next day, we took it back up there, and I'm like, right, right, man, look. Banana pudding. He's like, oh, that's great. We got to call the next day. Hey, they don't think Ray's going to make it. Probably past today. So we ran up. And uh, I teased Ray. Kind of had that relationship. And I teased him. I'm like, you know what, Ray? If the Lord calls you home today, stop and think. Your last two meals have been banana pudding. <laughs> man, there's nothing better than that. He's like, yeah, yeah. And as we were talking, you know, I, he's like, I just don't know what to expect. And I'm like, you know, I, I don't, I mean, the Bible tells us kind of a little bit, but, but really, we, we really don't know. I've not talked to anybody that's been there and come back. And uh, I said, but you know, here's what I always tell people. 
Just keep your eyes on Jesus. And everything's going to be all right. Again, without question, without doubt. Man, I'm thankful I received Jesus. I wish everybody knew him the way that I do. So we left that day. and You know, I even told Ray, I'm like, I'll be seeing you. Knowing that the next time I see him, it wasn't going to be here. And we got a text, I don't know, an hour later. Hey, Ray has, uh, Ray's gone home. And you know what they told us? Let this bless your heart. They said as Ray was there, they had a hospital bed there in their living room. And they said right when Ray was taking his last breath, he lifted his head up in the bed And he raised his hands. And he said, Jesus. Jesus. You say, what, 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 what do you think was happening there, Lord? Or, or Pastor, what do you think was happening? I think Jesus was coming to get him. You're like chapter and verse. Well, the Bible says this. He'll personally receive those that are his. You can come to my office. We'll arm wrestle over that one all day. I think he was there. And the Lord was receiving the one that had received him. Oh my goodness. When you live your life, whether it be 53 years or 153 years, you come to the final moments, your last breath. Isn't that what we can all long for? There's Jesus. He's come to get me. I'm just going to keep my eyes on him. Friend, hear me. Here's a man who said, preacher, you just please keep preaching Jesus because I want them to all know him the way I do. You can. Would you receive him today as your Lord and as your Savior? Now, please hear me. Praying a prayer has never saved anyone. Joining the church has never saved anyone. Getting baptized has never saved anyone. But you know what? When you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in prayer is the way that you express the faith that is already happening in your heart. There are folks that want to argue with me on this and say, you know what, you ought to never lead anybody in a sinner's prayer. And then you press them and you're like, well, how'd you call upon the name of Jesus? Well, I called out to him in prayer. If he's truly sovereign, you shouldn't have to lead somebody in a sinner's prayer. Don't rob God of his sovereignty thinking that he can't work through prayer. 
My goodness, we don't have time to worry about junk like that. We got a lost world dying and going to hell. Call upon the name of Jesus. Man, it just fires me up, these guys that want to sit around and debate how many angels fit on the head of a needle. Who cares? I'm telling you, there was a man who called upon the name of Jesus, and God knew the day would come at 53 years of age when he would take his last breath, and his faith and trust was still in Jesus. And Jesus came and said, you're done. Well done. Come on home. And if you'll call upon his name and receive him in your heart, he'll do the same for you. Bow your head with me in prayer today. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for your salvation. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Oh, God, right now as you roam across this room, God, not even beginning to understand what's happening in people's lives, you know And so, God, right now, as your Holy Spirit convicts hearts, as you squeeze souls, oh, God, today, today may they call upon you. Today may they surrender their life to you. Still in a time of prayer with our heads bowed, if you're here this morning, you say, you know what, Pastor? I am ready to receive Jesus into my heart and into my life. Then I invite you right now, not putting your faith in a prayer, but this being the very, the very expression of what's taking place in your heart to call out to him. Call out to him right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I need you to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I believe that you're God's son. I believe that you lived and died. And I believe that you are alive. And you rose again. And so, Jesus, I invite you. Here, Lord, I give you the title to the home of my heart. Come into my life. I put my faith and trust in you. Can I ask you, did you mean that today? Is that the desire of your heart? Or friend, I'm telling you, if that's the very desire of your heart, you're now part of many, of all. That right now, he miraculously saved you. Hey guys, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle, and I wanna thank you for listening to this week's issue of the podcast called Unchangeable Truth. Let me encourage you as well, if you get a chance, go check out our website. It's Highland, H-I-L-A-N-D, Park, P-A-R-K, dot org. On that website, you'll learn more about our ministry at Highland Park Baptist Church. You can also listen to some previous sermons, which are archived for the previous year. And as well, if you ever find yourself in Panama City in person, come and check us out. Worship with us live at 2611 Highway 231 North. We would also love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. If you've got any questions regarding your relationship with Him, having faith in Him, or if this podcast has encouraged you, or you have other questions regarding the podcast, feel free, shoot us an email at podcast at highlandpark.org. As always, our prayer is that this podcast would point you to Jesus Christ, would increase your faith, and would help you as you mature daily in your walk with Jesus Christ. God bless.